0: If you have your Bibles today, though, I'm going to read a lot of Scripture in Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is a great book of the Bible because it's about building, and building stuff is awesome. I love building stuff, right? Uh, well, the older I get, the less I like to build big things, but in my garage, I like to build little things. And and in our series, as we're talking about plans, we're coming to the end of this part about being engineered for things. We're engineered. Uh, to know God. We're engineered to have vision. You are designed by God to have a place in this world. Your unique role is very special, and it, is, it has got great ministry significance. You don't have to be a preacher standing behind a, an awesome pulpit that goes up and down when you push a button. Uh, you, you, don't, you, know, you don't need any of that, right? that we are his hands and feet extend to this world. But in Nehemiah, let's take a look at this, this powerful account of history about what God did through somebody who just was listening to God. Nehemiah chapter 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakali. Now it happened in the month of Cheslev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hananiah one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem, they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broke down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven." Notice again about this, as we learned last week, one of the steps to gaining vision two weeks ago is having a holy discontentment, that there's a frustration we come against in life. And the second part of gaining great vision in life is being frustrated. That we run into something that seems insurmountable, a, a problem that always occurs in life, or, or a big task. And because of that frustration, we say, there's something, there's something better. Yes. And it drives us. So the discontentment, and dis, right here, Nehemiah has a holy discontentment. He sees Jerusalem, and, and he, he understands the, the significance of the walls. And his holy contest, con, discontentment is one of the steps that he gains for this clear vision in his life. When we see something wrong, something that needs fixing to change and motivate us towards something new, that's a good thing. Determination is required to see the plan through. And determination is really important. And I got some definitions for us today. The first one goes like this. Definition is seeing the huge obstacles in your life as opportunities to God, to cry out to cry out to God for, for God's supernatural intervention. Notice it's not just to push on or to try to press through the obstacle. Real determination in the Christ follower's life comes in the fact that it causes us to cry out to God for something. Notice the first thing here that Nehemiah does when he realizes Jerusalem's walls are down, the gates are destroyed, uh, the, the, very, the walls in that day were very important for a city, right? They represented its defenses. They represented its strength. A, a city without walls, is, 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 as Proverbs says, is, is, is a worthless city. It's one that will come to ruin and plunder. And so the walls and the gates represented a lot of things with that with that strength it represented commerce it represented as jerusalem it represented independence the walls represented a uh, governance and sovereignty as a as a city so the re- the city the walls represented so much and, and nehemiah's people his relatives his his family his extended family and we're living in these ruins of these walls and the exiles that managed to make their way home are coming out in and they're they're picking up the pieces and, and nehemiah hears about this and and he he's saddened and the first thing he does is he he cries out to God. The first thing he does because he sees such tragedy is seek God. The very first thing is to cry out to God. Verse four says that for some days he mourned. That he mourned and he fasted and prayed. And he comes to the end of this and he prays this special prayer. And if you have your Bibles, I don't have this on the screen because opening your Bible or your fake one on your phone, whichever you got to do, it is the best way to read this. So there's a Bible in the row in front of you under your chair. And ESV is what I'm reading from. But Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 5, it reads this way. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. And he's praying now because he's come off of his time in fasting and prayer. Remember the context for which he's praying. He's praying this out of great sorrow. The God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. That I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel and your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel. <clears throat> which have oh corona. <clears throat> which have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. He confesses this sin. There's so much here, but we must go on. Verse seven. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded to your servant Moses saying if you are unfaithful I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them though you're dispersed under the farthest skies I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Now there's there's a few things I want to mention here, but first of all, he confesses for the sin for the people. He reco- Let me summarize this. He recognizes that... They need God's grace. They need his staying hand from judgment. They need his mercy. They are in desperate need of him to see them as children who helplessly sinned and did something. You know how you are fathers when you have a kid that, that does something wrong or poorly or badly. I mean, you correct them, but sometimes inside you're laughing, thinking, oh, I did that too. You know, you shouldn't have done that, but you know, you're laughing inside because when you're a kid, you do the same thing. But God sees them as a father and he recognizes this and, and God and in, 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 uh, Nehemiah knows this and he's telling his father, hey, you know, we've done bad things. Another thing he does, he uses God's word. He, he uses God's own promises to reiterate in his prayer. Does that mean God doesn't understand what he said? No, it doesn't mean that. God knows what he said. But here is Nehemiah really literally standing in the gap for the people. He's like saying, okay, God, you have said. And friends, that is a powerful thing that we as believers have. God, you have said. Never will I leave you when you feel alone. Never will I forsake you. We can say to God, God, you have said, be strong and courageous. Don't have fear. Uh, Lord, you have said not to be anxious for anything, but in all things with prayer and petition to present my request to you. And your peace will invade my life. This is what Nehemiah does. He reminds God of his word, just like we can do. He brings the need of the people then to God. He, he comes before God and he says, Lord, we confess. Uh, this is what you have said. Now, Lord, this is our need. This is the, the root of what we, we are afraid. Uh, the people of Jerusalem, the city walls have been torn down. The virus is spreading. There's no defense. There's no help. And why does he do this? Because... He has a glimpse of what the city was and what it could be. He has a vision. He prays this way because there's an urgency inside his spirit because the vision to see Jerusalem restored was bigger than being a cupbearer could ever accomplish, right? I mean, think about this. He can do this, right? This is, he can't do this. I mean, this is impossible for this guy to do. He cannot lead these people. He does not have the authority. In fact, you know what he says? He, might, he comes and he says, by the way, after all of this stuff, I pray this powerful prayer, I'm the cupbearer of the king. In other words, I am the guy who might not make it home. The cupbearer was an important job, Right? The cupbearer, the king, was the one who drank the wine or the drink or whatever that it was before the king did to make sure it wasn't poisoned. I mean talk about Russian roulette. I mean this isn't like a job you come home from and say, Oh honey, it was a great day. I mean you just don't come home. Or you come home horizontally. Imagine coming home every day and with work like that. How, how, went fine, honey, it was great, it was wonderful. No, you just don't come home. So, And you've lo- got to love the way that it's written here because as it's recorded, Nehemiah is connecting all these dots in this prayer of urgency. And then he says, like I said before, but so just kind of a last statement. By the way, I'm compared to the king. I'm really nobody. I'm a servant. I'm... My life is so worthless, in fact, that um, I could I could just be dead. It seems very antithetical to the idea of determination for this guy, doesn't it? To say, "Oh yeah, God, thanks for that vision, seeing Jerusalem restored." God, thanks for that vision for seeing me, put me, seeing me finish college, and thank you, God, for giving me that vision of going into ministry. Thank you, God, for giving me that vision of. <coughs> Building that house or doing that career that you've called me to do for that ministry that you want me to, to pursue and to be in. Thank you, God, for calling me to create that business and start. Oh, by the way, I'm the cupbearer to the king. By the way, I got no money or no know-how. By the way, I it's not possible. In fact, if we look at this in context. It's very opposite. Heaven's language is really different from earthly language because the ability to have determination for the Christ follower begins with admitting that you can't do it. In the world, we would say determination literally would say more. I think that's up there. It says that I can't do it. When we say that we can't do it, that is the beginning point. Of allowing God to do it. The huge obstacle in your life and my life is opportunities to cry, are just opportunities to cry out to God. That's what determination is for those of us who are following God. Determination begins at that point. This is the very first thing that Nehemiah does. He cries out to God. He says, God, I need you more than anything right now. No one in Scripture that ever did anything great for God said they could do it. I WANT TO REMIND YOU OF MOSES... (laughs) Uh, WHATEVER, GOD. I CAN'T SPEAK. YOU CALL ME A... THAT'S REALLY FUNNY. WHEN I STUTTER LIKE I DO, MOSES SHOWED DETERMINATION WHEN HE CHOSE TO SUFFER, THOUGH, WITH GOD'S PEOPLE RATHER THAN BE THE PRINCE OF EGYPT. GIDEON WAS THE SMALLEST. This, is, THIS WAS KIND OF THE OLD TESTAMENT Zacchaeus MENTALITY, RIGHT? I MEAN, HERE HE WAS, and, AND HE'S CALLED BY GOD TO DO SOMETHING GREAT, AND HE SAYS, BUT I'M THE SMALLEST OF MY CLAN. I CAN HEAR HIS VOICE. Here, BUT I'M THE SMALLEST OF MY CLAN. I'M THE, I'm the YOUNGEST AMONG MY BROTHERS. OUR FAMILY IS NOT EVEN CONNECTED WITH REAL LEADERSHIP HERE. IF YOU STUDY IT OUT, I mean, he's, HE'S NOBODY, REALLY. HE'S, he's THE SMALLEST. He's the littlest. Abraham, and what does he do? 300 men to defeat the army, the the invading. Abraham, I'm going to have a child. God, I'm 90 years old. There's no medical assistance in this day. God, God, it's impossible. Rahab. And we preached about Rahab a couple months ago. Every time it mentions poor Rahab, it says, Rahab the prostitute. I mean, the woman can't get a break even in Hebrews. Rahab the prostitute. (laughs) Here she was. She's finally the, you know, uh, uh, from her, the progenitor, the, the, the whole town of Bethlehem was born through Rahab's offspring. She marries the guy. The guy founds the town and, and she becomes a, through the line. Of Jesus comes through her and every time, even though all that happened, still in Hebrews, uh, you know, later she still called Rahab the prostitute. But she couldn't do it. Joshua, the angel appeared to him. Are you for us or against us? What do he say? Neither. March around the walls. We need a couple You know, Dina, we need need some bulldozers in here. It wasn't until Samson became weak that God could really use him. Great men are ordinary men who don't quit, and women. They don't give up. That's what determination is, following the calling that God has placed in our life and saying, God, I am willing to do it and pursue it no matter what it costs. Why is this important? Why is admitting we can't so important? Number one, because God's plans are always bigger than we could ever imagine on our own. They're always bigger. Isaiah 58, 55 verse 8 says, For my thoughts are what? Higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Secondly, God alone will receive all the glory for what's accomplished through you right? That's the message of Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 that that he writes. He says, by grace you're saved through faith, not, not of yourselves. It is God's gift, not of your strength or works or your ability to perform it, but by God's grace alone. Thirdly, our faith is strengthened when we trust God to accomplish impossible things. You know, faith is really the thing that God does. When God's about to do something great, Armin Geswin says, When God is about to do something great, he starts with a difficulty. When he is about to do something truly magnificent, he starts with an impossibility. What a great quote. Nehemiah chapter 2, as it goes on, look what happens here in verse 1. In the month of Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had, now remember, this is after he prayed, and he's back to work again with his russian roulette job and he comes to the king and, and, he, and in verse one at the end of verse one says now i had not been sad in his presence he had always done his job get this he had always been serving the king up to this point of his need with great joy apparently or at least promoting that and in verse number two and the king said to me why is your face sad seeing you're not sick this is nothing about sadness. This, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was much afraid, very much afraid, of course you would be to the king. You wouldn't talk back to the king. The king could have your head just like after all, I was cupbearer to the king. I was cupbearer to the king. I believe he didn't say it that way, but anyway. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Uh-oh, what? Uh, what? Uh, this is not supposed to happen. So I prayed to the God of heaven. He prays before he answers. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy And the king granted me what I had asked, for the good hand of my God was on me. This is a really powerful account. He comes to the king, who is not allowing travel at the time by Israelites, especially someone such as him. It was restricted, if you will. They were looked down upon. They were the scum of the earth. They had been taken over by the Babylonians. They had been in captivity. And here he is coming to the king with such boldness and clarity of thinking and thought and every request that he has. And the king stamps his passport. He gives him the visa. He says, go and do it. Not only does he do that, he gives him letters. Uh, allowing him to get the materials necessary to rebuild the temple and to make plans in that place. I think there's some important principles of determination we can pull from this portion. There are a few important things that we we learn here from Nehemiah's boldness. Number one, determination is empowered through relationship with God. I know I have more fill-in-the-blanks this week, but it's really kind of interesting the way this laid out this week he had a relationship with the king. Although he was just a cupbearer, he was a servant, and and he still had a relationship with him. And In fact, he gets close enough to the king for the king to notice the sorrow. The king king felt his heart, in fact, because the king says, what can I do for you? How can I help you? This is so true in any leadership capacity. This is a side note, but the power of influence is always greater than the power of position. It always is, you know. Just ask any husband. It's just the truth. The power of influence in the NBA. Dennis Rodman was a tremendous person of influence. He probably shouldn't have been. He was always angry by sideline. We worked. He'd pull off his jersey when he played for the Spurs, and he'd just sit there with his colored hair. and, And afterwards, he, you know, just he would act riotously, ruckusly. But he was a person of influence. People followed him just because of who he was. He kind of led the way in that twisted kind of way. But here is Nehemiah, and he has influence. Why? Because of relationship. Our proximity to the king is not enough. We can't just be around the king or be around God's people and think that it's enough. It's not enough. It's not enough to just hear about Jesus. It's not enough just to hear about the vision or or meet with the king occasionally. We need relationship with the king. Number two, determination carefully considers the cost and the requirements of the vision and a decision that that it's worth whatever it takes, whatever is necessary to achieve it. Let me ask you some personal questions. This is some probing ones. How determined are you? Number one, are you willing to follow Jesus no matter the cost? Secondly, do you carry biblical convictions that direct your decisions in life? Let me ask you another question. Are you committed to pursue your vision no matter what obstacles you face along the way? Do you have a motivating purpose? And finally, when you encounter problems or failures, do you, allow them from, do you allow it to keep you from trying again? Reminded of all the stories of Thomas Edison, all, all of his failures of making the light bulb, and Abraham Lincoln's failures in political life, and they both became great people. Thirdly, the strength of determination comes from realizing we're serving God's purpose rather than our own. NEHEMIAH NOT ONLY SHOWED DETERMINATION APPROACHING THE KING WITH THE PLANS, HE FACED OPPOSITION FROM A GUY NAMED SANDBALLOT. NOW, WHO HAS A NAME LIKE SANDBALLOT? NONETHELESS, SANDBALLOT DIDN'T LIKE IT. IN FACT, BEFORE THE BUILDING HAPPENED, HE FACED RUMORS ABOUT THE the PLANNING AND THE ACTUAL PHYSICAL ATTACK DURING THE BUILDING PROCESS. THE PLANS WERE EVEN UNDER ATTACK. HE GOES, to THE KING GETS PERMISSION. WELL, THERE'S SOME PEOPLE AMONG THE KING'S PEOPLE THAT DON'T LIKE WHAT'S GOING ON. AND SANDBALLOT SAYS, WAIT A MINUTE, THIS IS NOT GONNA HAPPEN And through his prejudice, his bias, and all the other things that we could include inside of Sanballat's mind, he was going to make this stop, no matter what. Well, Nehemiah heard this. He understood this. And what does he do? He determines that he is doing God's work. And he knows that that will protect him. 1 Corinthians 3.10, Paul writes, According to the grace of God which was given to me... As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. Friends, it's determination, the root of determination. If it doesn't come from the Lord, it comes from us, and it's doomed to fail. I think that there's many who are choosing to follow Christ. Maybe initially we come to Christ and we say, yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Lord, I'll go to Africa and and I'll do or I'll go to uh, Southeast Asia. God, I'll go to wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And and we feel and we sense God's call and his direction in our life. We hear uh, from him through his word and he communicates to us. Then after a while, we, we lose that fire. We lose that sense of determination to follow it through. God calls us, and He places an urgency in us, even for our career, or, or something great in our family. All these things are God-inspired in the believer. And we say, after a while, oh, it's not going to happen, and we lose our determination. And friends, we need to understand something, that the things that we're building, that Paul writes about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, they are for eternity. You see, the things that you and I do now are for eternity. I've heard many say that there's someone else is building here in this text of the scripture at Apollos or but it's not. The builder in the text that Paul is talking about is you. You are the builder. You are the one that's doing this. In verse 12 in 1 Corinthians 3:12 it says, "If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, we understand gold, right? I think we get the idea of gold, gold and, and, and these precious stones, these are tried by fire and only the impurities come out, the gold still reigns, but would and stubble? How are you building your life? How are you building and constructing the things? Are they built with God-given vision or just your own pressing determinations? This is the point where Christ followers, we need to come to the point where our relationship to the king helps us define the mission. If we're out of relationship with the king, we're, we're working in fruitless careers and jobs and, and doing things that never bring fulfillment. But when we have the eyes like, like Nehemiah did, I don't even think he was a builder. He was cut bare to the king. There's nobody. But when we get the eyes that we're doing this for the God of gods and king of all kings, we begin to have a different outlook because we're building with different materials. And in our life, we're not just pressing through life. We're, we're building our relationship with God through prayer, devotion to his word. Look at verse 13. Paul puts this more succinctly. Each, one work will cl- each one's work will become clear for the day judgment will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work he has built endures, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is, is, is burned, or will, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. So as though through the fire. In other words, here's the bottom line. He's talking about salvation. Salvation is believing in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. The Bible says we're saved. If you believe with Jesus in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Confession is only added in the Romans text. Confession is not for God. We've often said for many years, and theologically, check me out on this, believing in Jesus many times, as Jesus has said, he who believes in the Son has life. Confession with the mouth is not good for anybody, but you guys listening. In other words... My testimony, the way that I'm communicating my life and the things that I'm saying is salvation in this world. Because the Bible says, believing in Jesus, Paul says right here, even though you build all this stuff yourself, when the fire comes, the time of testing, God's judgment, you're going to make it to heaven, all right. But just by the skin of your teeth. All the work that you did is for nothing. And why is that important? Because the things that we are building in this life This life is more than this life. The things that you do in this life are for eternity. Let me prove it. The Bible says that things are tested by fire. The fire is for the work of God. It's revealed. It reveals the reward. Scripture says, Jesus says in in, uh, Matthew 6, 1, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. I'll never forget going this last mission trip and many others that we've gone on in the past. We go to some of these places around the world and there's no social media like there's. There's no televisions in many places. It's totally different. So what do they have? What do we find? Oftentimes when we go to the church in these places, we find people that are so devoted to Christ and, and on fire for God because he is all that they have. They are building in their life not just on the things that they can do to impress other people. They are following Jesus because he is giving them their daily bread, literally. Their confidence, their determination to follow Christ is motivated by life itself and the Spirit of God, of course. They are drawn by him. How much do you invest, friends, in the eternal compared to the temporary? And when Jesus gives his words here, he's talking about the motive. Our motives is what determines the value of our investment. The the things that we do in this world, the Bible says we will get a reward in eternity for. The Bible even says that the Father himself will hand out the rewards. So the motive for doing things on this earth that we do now is important to God because everything will be everything that we do just on our own with our own determination and selfish ways is going to be consumed by fire. It's all going to be pushed aside, and God's going to just see you for who you are. Did you love me? Did you make me your first church? Do you meet with me? Do you spend time with me in my presence? Are you following the vision that I gave for your life? Are we doing the things? Are we struggling through life? And this is the way God wants us to be. Because eternity and the rewards given out of God gives out rewards. Um, in, in Matthew 6 and verse 2, in fact, it says, therefore, when you do your charitable deeds, do not sound a trumpet before you, like the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have their glory from men. That's their reward. It's gonna be consumed with the fire. It's the wood, hay, and stubble stuff. Assuredly, I say, they have their reward, but when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right's doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So imagine getting to heaven. And in heaven, God is standing there. And he's handing out all the rewards. David comes up. And he gives David the reward. And he gives um, Phil a, a, a big pile of, of reward. And he's just got all this reward. And Mike walks up. And, and Mike gets a couple pennies or something. You know, he gets a little tiny reward. Not that Mike's not a great guy, I'm just using the illustration, Mike. Okay. You're okay, you're not you're all right. All right. You know, somebody built the preacher said about me and they walk away. Ar, ar, ar. You know, that's not true. But what happened was because the determination in life was built on our selfish ambition rather than God-driven ambition. This is where relationship with the king is so important. If we don't have relationship with the king, our eternal reward, we're not saved. We believe in Jesus. That's how we're saved. We're not saved by confessing with our mouth. We, we are saved by believing in our heart. It is that motivation inside that God changes. That is so important for determination, and the, the Scripture says that we are His workmanship, made for good works. For God doing them, God is doing them in our lives. First John two twenty says, "Now little children, abide in Him, that when He appears, we may have what confidence and not be ashamed before Him at he's coming." Why would we be ashamed when Jesus comes? I don't want to be ashamed. I don't think anybody on oh the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is coming, the Creator of the universe. So oh, I'm ashamed. In fact, Jesus says when he returns, will he find even faith on the earth? He's not looking for all the things that we can do driven by the, the opportunity to be seen like the Pharisees. Jesus is telling us very carefully that you're saved by believing, but your life of confession that comes out, the things that you do, the things that you produce, are they for the Lord and his purpose driven for your life or for your own? The strength for determination comes from serving God's purpose rather than mine. And this is so important because if we have our eyes only on the flesh, we'll never have a fulfilling purpose in life. We'll thrive and survive on what culture feeds us. And, and God has better things for us to eat, better things for our diet. Fulfillment comes from a life vision worth pursuing. And that can only come from God, not ourselves. Have you ever considered God's determination? Uh, Get a load of this. A Hebrew word for determined is the word armar. And meaning to say in one's heart, to think, to to command, to promise, to intend to do. And in Scripture, we find a word that helps to determine the word for purpose in yatsar. And it it means to predetermine. And it can only really be used in the context of God. But look how determined God is. If you have your Bibles, Isaiah 46.5. I don't know if I have this text on the... uh, There it is. uh, Verse 5 says, Says to whom will you compare me? Remember, this is God speaking. Who is my equal? Some people pour out their silver and their gold and hire a craftsman to make a gold uh, to make a god from it. When they then they bow down and worship it. Exclamation point! They carry it around on their shoulders and then they set it down and it says there. It stays there. It can't even move. And when someone prays to it, there is no answer. It can't rescue anyone from trouble. This is God speaking. This is quite hilarious. Do not forget this. Now he's getting firm. Keep this in mind, God says. Remember this. You guilty ones, remember the things I have done in the past. For I alone am God. I am God. There is none like me. Only I can tell the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass for I do whatever I wish. I will call a swift bird to pray, on, uh, a pray on, bird of prey on, from the east, a leader from distant land to come and do my bidding. I have said what I would do and I will do it. That statement is that word in, in amplified. I am determined. God is great determination. What What keeps you from being determined, from following God's vision for your life? A couple things quickly and we'll close. Faintheartedness. It's a big word, but it has so much meaning. Faintheartedness comes from from laziness and procrastination, they are enemies of determination. We say that we can't do it, it looks so big. God calls you maybe to start that business or go to school uh, be that missionary in your neighborhood. Start a group in your home of your neighbors to love them to the Lord, uh, to invite them even to church. Uh, accomplish your financial goals. You know what God's Word says about it. And, and you keep doing it. You put it off. You're, you're lazy. You do other things. And you wind up making all kinds of mistakes. And what you do is you, you say, I can't, except it's not the, the I can't to God of determination. This I can't is different from admitting to God that you can't. This, this I can't means I won't do it. Rather than I can't, like Moses, Abraham, Paul, and having God given vision and, and God in listening to that, we say I can't. It's the kind of can't like Jonah or, or Judas. I can't, so God does anyway. Oswald Chambers wrote When I say I can't in this context, it means I won't. Being determined means that we're willing to do as much necessary. Expend as much energy to see it through, to reach the God-given vision that he's given us. Determination is important. Another thing that stops determination is fear of people. What are people going to think? God's called me to do this, and we get to be those middle-age years, and and instead of following God, maybe we buy a motorcycle. I don't know. (laughs) Or two. Or three. I'm not going to say it. I will never deny or confess. What are people going to think? I'm too old to, to start going to school. I'm too old to pursue the ministry. I'm too old to start studying for that ministry. I'm, stu- I'm too old to, to do this. Or I'm too young. I can't. And, and Paul says, don't let people look down on you because you're young. I mean, God's given direction and his vision is bigger than what we can be determined on our own. There's selfish ambition, determination. But then God vision de- de- determination is beautiful because God blesses the, the journey yes. with joy. Rather than pain and heartache and pressing and, and labor and that means nothing, rather joy. Amen. It's joy filled because the journey means something. Finally, fear of failure. What if I mess this up? What if I fall on my face? You know what happened to Nehemiah when he finished? Great things. People all gave to the work. Once he got that, Okay, from the king, and he starts telling people about it, they start getting engaged. And you'll find that God will send people, friends, in our life, my life, and your life, that will give their time and their resources to help you along the way. Once you say, God, I'm going to follow your vision for my life, if God calls you, He will equip you, He will open the doors, He will cause the walls of Jericho to fall down. Another thing that happens is Ezra reads the scriptures for the very first time in many years. And this picture of Ezra, and Ezra, is, you can find Ezra in, in there right before the book of Nehemiah and the Old Testament. And Ezra, the Bible says at this point of the dedication of the temple, he opens the book of the law. And all Israel's sitting around, they're just kind of waiting, they're all sitting there tired. And the Bible says in in, in this, I get this holy silence moment as, as more than 100,000 people were most likely gathered in that moment. They they quietly stood. All Israel stood at one time. Wow. That would be cool to see. They all stood. They revered God's word. They put it in high importance. I think that'll preach by itself. I'll leave it alone. What else does he do? He reinstates the worship. Worship becomes now a natural outflow of what they do. They, they put those practices back in a pa- place. He, he dedicates the city It's something else that he does. He he dedicates it to the Lord. He establishes reforms for the people. We're going to start living this way now. We're going to change the way we do. That's what revival does. Revival starts reformation. It starts a new way of doing things. Martin Luther got real revival. A spurn in his heart. He read Ephesians chapter 2. It's by grace we're saved through faith, not, not not by our works. And he says, wait a minute. We're doing it wrong. He establishes reforms, and finally, what happens? Once it is reestablished, people flock to the city. I mean, after you establish the city explodes. Have you ever considered, friends, what great thing that God will do through you if you remain determined to the purpose that he's called you to? More than you can imagine. My urgency to you today is to not give up. J. Edson Taylor, a powerful missionary to the Chinese orphans, sat them all around the table as they were getting ready to eat with no food. He was a man of faith, and he prayed. As they bowed their heads to pray, a wagon pulled up full of food, and they had dinner that night. And many orphanages were established through his ministry. And his quote that I want to read to you is so powerful. He says, At first, the task looks difficult. Then... It is impossible. Then it is done. I love First Timothy 6.12. Stand with me, would you, Bell? Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called about when you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight. Friend, I want to encourage you a determination. Be determined to follow through the thing that God has put in your spirit. You know, I think one of the first ways that you can do this, or that we can all do this, is to share it with somebody. Tell somebody. Say, you know what? I believe God has called me to do something. And I don't want to not do it. I want to pursue God with everything in me. Would you pray with me about that right now?